0: Abandon all remote controls, ye who enter here. It's time to unlock the gates to tele-hell.
1: It's...
2: Monty Python's Flying Circus is arguably one of the greatest TV comedies ever made. And in addition to endlessly quotable moments forever burnt into our brains...
1: with the soft cushion! <laughs> I want to buy some cheese! Leaping from tree to tree as they float down the mighty rivers of British Columbia. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. It's just contradiction. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. It is not. It is! Come on, attack me! Come on! Come on! Yeah. Come on! Yeah.
2: The show also made stars out of its six cast members, so much so that when the series finally came to an end in 1974, and the strength of their movies only solidified their individual star status, the troupe managed to achieve success in numerous solo projects. From various TV classics...
1: And what can I do for you three gentlemen?
2: ...to unusual styles of filmmaking...
1: Brazil,
2: From the occasional travel documentary... I must say, I do like railways. Perhaps not quite as much as I did 25 years ago. ...to even the odd voiceover or two.
1: knights to hear this story. Adventures of and dragon
2: But regardless of the cast's individual successes or failures since the Flying Circus pulled up stake, they've all kept relatively busy. Yes, even the late Dr. Graham Chapman, thanks to constant use of archival footage. But nobody in the cast was as busy as one particular member who we'll be focusing on today. And now here are some
1: wonderful comments people have said about me on the web.
2: Eric Idle is probably one of the more well-rounded of the Pythons after the show came to an end, not only continuing to appear in various movies and TV shows, but also composing various songs with longtime collaborators John Duprez and the late Neil Innes. Of course, if we're here to talk about success, it would defeat the purpose of us being here. Instead, we're going to take a look at probably the one major failure that an otherwise talented performer once had, not counting the classic movie bomb, Burn Hollywood Burn. This show would turn out to be Idol's one and
0: only leading role in a TV series, and one whose ratings were so lifeless you'd swear you'd see a ghost. Lucky for us, we've got plenty of lost souls floating around here. Intelli-Hell.
2: And now for something completely different. Before we get to the subject, let's first take a trip all the way back to 1937. And at the same time, use a sing-songy transatlantic newsreel voice to tell this part of the story. <laughs> While the Great Depression was still going on strong and the war against those wacky Nazis were still a few years from looming, Americans saw temporary escape through the motion pictures. One such picture that was released that year was a madcap romp starring Cary Grant, Constance Bennett, and Roland Young in the tale of a fast-moving, fun-loving couple who took one chance too many and get themselves killed in a car accident that could have easily been a minor scrape had the airbag been invented back then. But alas, they become ghosts, doomed to stay on the mortal plane because both of them failed to perform enough good deeds to get into heaven or enough bad deeds to get them to the place that seems strikingly familiar around here. With nowhere to turn, the couple haunt and or help one of the few friends they had that could see them in the hopes that they could do just enough for the sad sack that they wind up standing in front of the pearly gates. That sad sack's name? Mr. Cosmo Topper. And thus, the movie had a title. Topper turned out to be a big hit, got nominated for some Oscars, and even spawned a couple of sequels. And for its time it was madcap supernatural fun fast forward now to the year 1953 and a different style of narrative voice As television was still in its early years, it felt as though there was no idea too out there for people to try, up to and including adaptations of previously made properties. So, roughly 15 years after the original came out, a Topper TV series was produced. This time, starring Anne Jeffries and Robert Sterling as the dashing ghosts and Leo G. Carroll in the title role. The show did what it could to recapture the spirit—no pun intended—of the original movie, and despite being on for two seasons, it was also made during a time when 39 episodes made a TV season. A total of 78 episodes were made and eventually syndicated in overnight reruns for decades. Which brings us to 1989 and me finally slipping out of these hokey announcer voices. By the late 1980s, television had seen its fair share of dramatic shifts over the decades not to mention an increase in maturity in both the content being presented and just who would consume the entertainment. Two people that seem to have missed that memo were the writing team of John Baskin and Roger Shulman, who wrote for such durable 70s TV hits like Good Times, The Jeffersons, and Three's Company. And they even created a short-lived hit series with the show Crazy Like a Fox. With a somewhat decent pedigree under their belts, the people at Lorimar Television, by that point a vast part of the Warner Brothers empire, tapped them to put on what they thought was going to be their next in a long line of hits. And Lorimar should know a thing or two about that, because they practically populated the 70s, 80s, and 90s with a murderer's row of TV classics. Dallas, Knots Landing, Perfect Strangers, Full House, Family Matters, hell, 90% of the ABC TGIF lineup. Point is, Lorimar was a hit-making machine that didn't seem to fail, no matter how much a concept had been run into the ground, especially with their line of family sitcoms. Basket and Shulman had their idea in place, one that would seem hauntingly familiar. The tale of a high-class couple who lose their lives in a car accident only to wind up as ghosts in their own home, which is now occupied by another family who can't see them except for one family member, which we'll get to once we get to it. The difference between this show and Topper, however, is that while Topper was about two ghosts trying to do good deeds in order to get into heaven, this show's main idea is for one of those ghosts to be a total asshole who tries to get that new family out of the house by any means necessary, as one is to do on a family program. Perhaps this move was a bit of a creative license maneuver, because even though Topper had been several decades old by this point in time, Lorimar wanted to make sure the idea was different enough so that they wouldn't get sued by MGM, the studio that made the original movie, and possibly CBS who produced the 1950s TV series, which stands to reason considering this show eventually wound up on NBC. So in that regard, maybe making one of these ghosts a holier-than-thou snob might have been the best move. But was it the right one? In order to answer that question, we now look to the casting. First, the family that moved into the deceased's home, the Dooleys, helmed by sitcom mainstay, former not necessarily the new star, and future voice of Earl Sinclair, Stuart Pankin.
0: I have been waiting in that car with your mother for 10 minutes. Trust your mother and me in the car. 10
2: minutes. <laughs> Pankin played Mike Dooley, followed by his wife. Liz Dooley, played by Wendy Shawl, who by that point in her career already appeared in several major minor roles in various Steven Spielberg produced movies, like Inner Space and Batteries Not Included, plus a more memorable role in The Burbs with Tom Hanks, and would later become the voice of Francine Smith on the long-running American Dad.
0: What the fuck is going on?
2: I'm getting there, don't worry. And since this attempted to be a family program, of course, they added a kid to the mix, played by young newcomer Jay Lambert, rounding out the Dooley family, was veteran character actor Henderson Forsythe as the clan's grandfather. Then came the ghosts, A.K.A. the Pritchards, Grant and Claire, whose names may or may not have been a nod to the original Topper and its star Carrie Grant. The role of Claire will be played by Caroline McWilliams, a longtime veteran of TV who appeared in shows like Guiding Light, Soap, and Benson, among many others. And. In the role of Grant, who else but this guy?
1: No to me, no to me, not, not, no to me, say no more.
2: Arguably, this was what got the show sold. The very fact that Eric Idle, who by this point in his career had already appeared in more movies than TV shows, was actually willing to star in a sitcom. This had to have cost Lorimar a lot of money in order to seal the deal. But exactly how much was Idle paid for his six-episode commitment?
1: I've got... 90,000 pounds in my pajamas I've got 40,000 French francs in my fridge I've got lots of lovely lira Now the Deutschmark's getting dearer And my dollar bills would buy the Brooklyn Bridge
2: Okay, maybe not that much But the point remained Eric Idle coming back to television After years of success between the Pythons And his solo efforts in the movies Was still a major coup Which can only mean one thing Somehow They find a way to screw things up, and we'll see just how badly they do so after the break.
1: Monday, meet Earthquake Al. When it hits, he's all shook up.
3: Earth is hazardous to your health. We have
1: a two week supply of food.
3: I ate it in 37 minutes.
1: I'm nearly departed. Your favorite goat may be invisible, but he keeps in shape. That paper boy must be taking steroids. I have the body of a dead man half my age. After Al,
3: Monday. April 10th,
2: 1989. She drives me crazy by fine young cannibals top the charts. While Field of Dreams, an enjoyable piece of media about dead people, was the top movie in the country, and at 8.30, 7.30 Central and Mountain, we get a jaunty little tune about the woes of being dead in the form of the show's theme song.
1: Everyone lately is making me crazy, now that we've joined the deceased, there'll be no resting in peace, dear.
2: And, to the show's credit, I can't fault it for having a catchy theme song that Idol simply sells the hell out of as he's singing it. That, and as most theme songs of the past decades tend to do, they let viewers know what they were in for just in case they wanted to change both their minds and their channels during the commercial break.
1: It's hard to ignore when a family of four is running amok in our home constantly near us they can't see or hear us nobody can except the old man
2: just Wait a minute. Uh, sing that last verse again. Black
1: constantly near us they can't see or hear us nobody can except the old man just
2: Wait so it's the grandfather who assumes the topper role in what was supposed to be a family sitcom The grandfather when Clearly there's a young teenager in the family that could easily benefit from the whims of a pair of ghosts. Well way to pull in that CBS demographic, NBC. It should be noted that the show that aired immediately before this one was the long-running ALF, another family sitcom about an outerworldly element that creates wacky misadventures with the family it's staying with. This show, on the other hand, looks to be the inverse of that, where the outerworldly element can be seen by only one other person in the hopes that equal or greater shenanigans will take place. But, in an effort not to judge a book by its cover, let's get to the actual story of the first episode. The show begins with the Pritchards telegraphing the situation we just heard in the opening credits in non-musical form.
1: What a wonderful day to be alive. Yeah,
2: too bad we're not. <laughs>
1: Try not to think about it, Grant. Go with the flow. But we're dead, Claire. Wiped off the face of the earth. No hopes, no future, no going back. It's expired and gone to meet its maker. This is a late
2: pellet. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I had to make that joke. I promise. There'll be a moratorium on Monty Python references from here on out. Go on. No hopes, no future, no going back. Why does that bother me more than it bothers you?
1: (laughs) Because you always look on the dark side of things. Death is the dark side of things.
2: Well, you should know, because as you always say... Always look
1: on the bright side of life.
2: Okay, 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 okay. That was the last Python joke I'll make this episode. I'm sorry, but when Eric Idle's involved, it's kind of harder not to do that. Anyway, moving on, we see a little of how the Pritchards cope with unliving with the Dooleys.
1: How long are you going to hog this bathroom? Do something useful. Go to work. Why are you talking to him, Beth? He can't hear you. I know that. He can't see me either. Honey, I think we're out of dinner Honey, I think we're out of dinner
2: And with that scene established, I have a couple of thoughts. Idol and McWilliams are supposed to be playing ghosts, ethereal beings that can do any number of things of a supernatural variety, but for the benefit of those with eyes versus ears. In the first two minutes of the show, we can see them physically opening doors instead of walking through them, picking up small items without them slipping through their fingers, have Earl Sinclair spit in Idol's hands even though that spit should have hit the sink directly, and perhaps more pressing, The notion that a ghost even needs to use the bathroom in the first place. Which kinda makes me wonder if creative licensing is in overdrive, or if the money they forked over to Idol to appear in the show might have been siphoned out of the show's special effects budget by mistake. I know that seems like a nitpick on a show with an already fantastical concept, but even suspension of disbelief needs a little reality as a failsafe in case things get too stupid. The fact that we're finding these things out a mere two minutes into the show gives me little hope that suspension of disbelief is even going to matter for the rest of the show. Because the next scene we see is Idol trying to sneak a peek at Francine Smith in the shower. As one would do on a family sitcom, right?
1: Mike, I'm taking a shower! Walk, Grant. What do you want to do? Um, I, I think so. What did you say? Um, I, I think whatever you said is, uh, is, uh, is uh, fine by, by my, me. Mike, you said you didn't want to be late for work today.
2: Hey, wedding vows do say till death do us part, which is why we quickly move on from here. And while you continue to wonder why a ghost is soaking wet with actual physical liquid matter, we attempt to get the plot going.
1: huh Dad on your way home from work tonight. He just found and he'd like to come to dinner.
2: Your dad? Why?
3: What for? It's not a holiday or anything.
1: He just wants to talk. (laughs) I get along with your father, why can't you get along with mine?
3: Because your dad's a lunatic, mine's a normal person.
2: (laughs) (laughs) All the while, McWilliams tries to convince Idol that the people inhabiting their former home are nothing to worry about.
1: And I know what you're trying to do. I'm starting to like this family and you're not going to drive them away from here. Oh, come on, Claire, let me just lift the table six inches and see who hits the door first. (laughs) All right, then let me do something slightly cruel to the little boy.
2: (laughs) Meanwhile, one of the neighbor kids shows up to give the Pritchards a cold splash of reality without actually seeing them.
0: Anyone would be better than the last people that lived here. What? The ones who had the accident? I mean, here was this kind of hip lady, married to the biggest
1: jerk you ever met. (laughs) Wait a minute, you little clearasil junkie.
2: From the way they were being described just now, I gotta wonder, these are supposed to be our protagonists, right? I mean, who ever heard of a TV show where the main character is supposed to be a jerk? Oh, Okay, aside from House. Aside from Black Adder.
3: You mean I'm going to stay
2: this color?
0: Wrong jerk, and that doesn't count. That's a movie.
2: Moving on. Again. We get ready to meet the grandfather of the family, as well as another reminder that because the Pritchards are ghosts,
1: nobody ever sees him. It doesn't make any sense, Claire. Why are we dressing for dinner? (laughs) Because we're meeting her father for the first time. Don't you want to look good? Nobody can see us. Nobody ever sees him.
2: Just then, as is standard issue on subpar sitcoms, Earl Sinclair and his father-in-law arrive and engage in typical lukewarm heated banter where it seems as though they don't get along for some reason.
3: If I said something wrong, I apologize. Let's just drop it. I don't wanna talk about the ride anymore. Fine, fine, just seems to me it would've been smarter if you'd take the expressway. Not during the rush hour. The way I took was the shortest. Okay, okay, I hope we're not too late for dinner, that's all.
2: And sure enough, halfway through the episode, before the end of the act, we actually have the main plot dumped into our laps all at once. I
3: was evicted today. No good landlord been looking for any cheap excuse to get rid of me.
1: I don't want you to worry, Daddy. We'll help you find a new place to live. It shouldn't take long.
3: Well, I don't know, honey. Uh, I can't put any money down on an apartment right now. I just lost my job. You, you lost your job? You've been driving that van for Kramer's drugstore for ten years. Yeah, and a bum lays me off just because my license expired.
1: You lost your license
3: too? Oh, why didn't you say something? Oh, you know me, honey. I don't like to
1: tell people my problems. <laughs> That's all you've done since you got here. You planned all this, didn't you? First you stay a couple of days, then it's a couple of weeks, months. Pretty soon your old pals will start hanging out around here. Guys with names like Bud earning. <laughs> <laughs> I spend all day out on the porch, wickling, spitting on my <laughs> And then he the throws up all over the Cuba Libras no and sending man tinted man postcards of places sh- they don't realise oh, they, they, they haven't visited to all shut at number 22. Where the wonderful Please, army is marked with the next food, very greasy, but we found a charming all over place hidden away in the back streets where they serve Watney's Red Barrel and cheese and onion for And the important place Maybe it's because I'm a Londoner.
2: Alright, I swear, last Python clip I'll use. And you can brand me with a fire-coated pitchfork if I do it again. So anyway, as the theme song earlier indicated, the grandfather can see the ghosts. Why? Maybe it's an Angel of Death thing where the older you get, the more prone you are to seeing them. Which is a hell of a lot better explanation than the show gives, which seems to be none at all. It's impossible!
3: How can you see us? we're dead big deal I'm 75 I don't feel so good myself
1: <laughs> well if you knew we were here all along why didn't you
3: say something at my age you don't tell people you're hearing things they put you in rubber pajamas
2: <laughs> act 2 begins with a grandfather lamenting to his grandson why it's so important for him to get his driver's license back
3: where did all the time go to Derek why just yesterday I was bouncing your mama on my knee the day before that I was in high school
0: what happened?
3: You got older. I got old. I don't walk so fast and don't remember so good. People have to help me with things I could always do myself. That's why this driver's license is important to me.
0: But it's just a piece of paper. It's
3: a freedom, son. My age, you lose a freedom, you'll never get it back.
2: And I'm not ashamed to admit that this was a pretty strong scene, if not a little heavy-handed. He expressed a lot of concern as to how things would be different if a person wasn't able to enjoy their life, and that those joys just happen to be car-based. To say nothing of the fact that there are millions of people in the world who are unable to drive for whatever reason, and that the burden of getting around can be tough sometimes. So, how do they take a moment like that and suck out all the atmosphere?
1: I don't believe it. There's only one good thing about being dead. You never have to go to the motor vehicle department again. (laughs) I don't know why I do these idiotic things for you. Because you're sweet. And you're my husband. Uh Uh-uh, Claire. The ceremony was very specific. Till death do us part.
2: (laughs) Ah, see? Right there. The perfect justification for Idol to sneak a peek in the shower earlier, straight from the horse's mouth. And you thought I was just making a passing joke. Anyway, the ghosts are now trying to assist in trying to get Grandpa's license back. But not before Earl Sinclair tries to grease the wheels a little.
3: Uh, We like to apply for the Special Senior Citizens Exemption. The what? You know, the one where they don't have to take any tests.
1: Oh, you mean the Special Senior Citizens Exemption? Of course! Mr. Perkins, this guy's over here trying to bribe me!
2: So, after that bit of filler, the Pritchards then do what they can to help out. Even if it means having to cheat a little. True,
1: false, false,
2: true.
3: 49 out of 50. I missed one? Stupid kid.
2: After passing the written test, Grandpa now faces something that would send shivers down the spine of any elderly human being.
0: Am I exam
3: forgot my glasses. I could read it easy if I had them.
1: Six line.
2: Can I buy a vowel? Fortunately, Idle's there to help out a little, thanks to becoming a human alphabet that could easily be mistaken for one of John Cleese's silly walks. Ow! Hey, come on, that was only a reference. I didn't play the clip. Slow your roll there. Anyway, for the sake of this being a podcast, I think this calls for a play-by-play. Idle starts with the letters E and then T.
1: D. No, E. <laughs> e.
2: O.
3: E, not D.
1: Okay. Uh, T.
2: Then an X. Y. X. <laughs> then an R. R. Moving on to the line below, Idle then yogas himself into the letter K. Then he takes a page out of the Kama Sutra to make a letter Q. Q. Then something that should have had a sensor bar over Idol's crotch as he tries to make a letters V and W. V. W. And the conflict gets resolved, or so we think. There's still a matter of the road test, which the ghosts can't possibly help him on. Never mind the fact that it was established early in the episode that they can physically touch solid objects even though they're ghosts. But then again, perhaps we're expecting too much logic from a show who used ALF as its lead-in. Because sure enough...
3: I can't believe it. Ah, you
0: didn't pass, huh? Oh, of
3: course I passed. Got the license right here.
1: Oh, Daddy, congratulations! He did it! He did it! Grant, I'm so happy for him. Me too. Let's help him pack.
2: <laughs> but not so fast. This is, after all, the first episode of a sitcom, so naturally there has to be a reason for Grandpa to stick around.
1: Well, this is great. Now you can get your old job back.
3: Why do you think we're late? We drove right over to Kramer's drugstore as soon as he got the license.
1: And Kramer said no? He said yes. Then why are you so unhappy?
3: Because your father said no. What? We had a deal. Passing that test gave me a lot of confidence. Why work for Kramer? All I have to do is study a little and get a better job. Maybe I'll get my pilot's
1: license. (laughs) Open the window, Claire. I'll teach him how to fly.
2: (laughs) And I'm sure it will be a fantastic journey to see a septuagenarian make the grade with the assistance of ghosts. But alas, with the exceptions of the episode that are currently floating around on YouTube, as well as discussion of the show here, Nearly Departed wound up like any other spiritual vapor. It's there, it came to perform some unfinished business, and it went. The show was canceled in May of 1989 after four episodes, with two of them left unaired in the United States. But leave it to the UK to rub salt in the wounds of one of its own, because that's where those other two shows wound up airing. So, Where does this supernatural slapstick wind up on the ethereal plains of Telehel? Grab your Ouija board as we spiritually call on the Nine Circles.
0: Limbo, lust, lust, gluttony, greed, wrath, heresy, heresy, violence, fraud, treachery!
2: Let's begin with the show on the whole. Using an idea like man meets ghost and hijinks ensue has been done to death, if you pardon the term. Not only ripping off well-established things like Topper, but we almost forgot to mention that this may have taken place at a time when the movie Beetlejuice was all the rage, because that too had to do with spirits who died in a freak accident and now has undesirables living in their home, while one person in their family can actually see them. Granted, this show is far tamer in comparison, that's just about the only difference there is. Departed still leans more towards the Topper side of things, however, so for our purposes, We'll call this a rip-off of the former, which helps us scare up fraud. We also have a rare double case for Limbo, because even though the show aired four of its episodes, it still didn't air two of them domestically, to say nothing of the fact that being a ghost is probably the ultimate example of the real Limbo. So those two wrongs make a bell ring. I also got a docket for Greed on account of Eric Idle. The producers in the network who put this on clearly offered Idol enough money to take on what would otherwise be a thankless job. Because by this point in his career, he was already a well-established performer who not only had a few hit movies and voiceover work under his belt, but he didn't really need to do another TV show, never mind the fact that he would eventually bite the bullet again when joining the cast of Suddenly Susan in the late 90s. But as the old saying goes, money talks, talent walks. Finally, as far as the episode we looked at goes, it was standard 80s sitcom cheese. But I'd also be lying if I didn't mark this one down for a count of lust, even if till death do us part applies. Idol's character was still trying to sneak a peek at somebody who's not his wife while in the shower. Dude, I don't know how divorce laws work in the afterlife, but your wife is in the other room and you're still gonna be with her for all of eternity. Get ready for eons of ice-cold silence. Nearly Departed earns four out of nine circles of telehell. This was one of too many shows over the decades where the material was lukewarm at best. Though, to be fair, the show not only faced stiff competition from the likes of the original MacGyver on ABC and CBS's legendary Monday Night Comedy lineup, but it also replaced an established hit in the form of The Hogan Family on NBC, before it ultimately came back four weeks later. A 1989 review in the Los Angeles Times said it best. Quote, Is this about as much jinks as you can stand or what? And here's the zaniest part. The Dooley's can't see or hear the Pritchards, but Grandpa Garrett can. Why is he special? Because the script says so. Grant and Mike are the broadest characters here. The opening episode finds each, in his own way, doing his best to get Grandpa Garrett to move out. But Grandpa Garrett is determined to hang around. As you can imagine, it's all too funny for words. Grant says to Claire, we're dead. Exactly. End quote. Fortunately for Eric Idle, he'd have better luck a few years down the line when it came to dealing with the supernatural.
1: I got the power. I got the treasure. And you have a flight to catch. Huh? Any other takers?
2: Hey, at least it wasn't another lame sitcom with a talented comedian in it. Speaking of which... Next time on Telehell, we bring you another pilot that crashed as we take a look at one of the dumbest premises for a sitcom we've seen so far.
0: Hey, what am I doing back in high school? I knew I should have (laughs) graduated.
1: Rodney Dangerfield, is that really you?
0: Until then... If it's not in Telehell, it's
2: not worth a damn. Of course, the usual ways, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and our website, telehell.libsyn.com, but also these new places, including castbox.fm, podtail.com, listennotes.com, mytuner-radio.com, and blueberry, which is spelled B-U-L-B-R-R-Y.com. We'll have many more coming soon. And as always, don't forget
0: to like, comment, rate, subscribe. And share on our social feeds. Twitter and Facebook, both at Telehel Podcast.